as we venture into Romans 9 and as we venture into some really deep waters, remind yourself they're there that we would have hope. They're there, these are here to remind us that, that we serve a faithful God. And that's, that's very important. It's very important that we grasp that because, again, as we look into Romans 9, the mood of Romans is going to shift dramatically. We, we have this chapter 8, which many people believe is, is quite possibly the most glorious, marvelous chapter, is not only in Romans, but, but in the Bible, just the, the reality of the assurance that we have in Christ and the confidence that we can have, that, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And then immediately in Romans 9, Paul really abruptly shifts gears and he starts speaking of what great sorrow and what great grief that he has. Even to the point that if, if it were possible that he would give up his own salvation for the salvation of others. For specifically the condition of his Jewish brothers and sisters. That in spite of their great spiritual privilege, for the most part they were alienated from Christ. And, and what this tells us is that we're, we're moving into somewhat of a new section in Romans that will run from chapter 9 through chapter 11. And it's a difficult section in many ways. Some of what some of what we're going to read here is going to be difficult to understand. And listen, even if you understand it, it's going to be difficult to accept. Every single one of us in here have, have holes in our theology. All right? The problem is we don't know where they are. And every single one of us in here are tempted to to come up with ideas about God that suit our own feelings and, and suit our own likings instead of allowing the Scriptures to singularly inform what they tell us about God. We need to allow God to describe Himself and tell us about Himself, not come up with our own ideas. And listen, some of what, some of what we're going to look at over the next months, it's, it's, it's quite possibly going to shake you to your core. It's going to challenge some, some possible wrong theologies, wrong ideologies that you have about God. You're going to walk out of here and you're going to say, I don't get it. And that might very well be where God wants you to be. Paul, at the end of Romans 11, here's what he's going to say. God is way beyond me. His ways are not my ways. I couldn't start to describe or understand me even if I wanted to, which he did want to. God's ways are not our ways, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Isaiah 40, God's greatness goes way beyond anything you ever would think about Him. Ephesians 3, 20, Now to Him who is able to do far more exceedingly beyond anything we ask or think. Here's the reality. No matter how great and awesome you think God is, He's greater. You and I cannot fathom the awesomeness, and, and really the otherness of God. Chapter 9 especially is, is one of the strongest pictures we have in Scripture 
of the sovereignty of God. And many of us in here struggle with that doctrine. We don't like what it does to our supposed free will. And so we'll try to explain away statements in this chapter. Don't do that. Others are going to get carried away, get carried away with God's sovereignty, and they end up practically denying that we're as responsible as humans. Don't do that either. Let the Scriptures say what they say and leave them alone. Neither, neither, neither extreme is true. Both, both exist. And I will, I will try, I, I, I have tried and will try to say this clearly and gently, but in a way that won't allow us to fall into either of those gutters regarding God's sovereignty or responsibility. The reality is, and we said this, there's a tension here. There's a tension here that exists between a sovereign God and human responsibility. There's a tension. And we need to be okay with tension in the Bible. We've got to be okay. With, we've got to stop trying to, to figure everything out so that it makes sense to us. Listen, I'm all for, and you know my heart, search the Scriptures, study the Scriptures. Sometimes you've got to walk away and you say, here's the answer. God, I don't necessarily get it, but I trust you. Listen, I don't get why God would allow and use Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery and walk all through that. Yeah, but God took Joseph exactly where he wanted Joseph to provide food for an entire nation. I wouldn't have done it that way, but you know what? It wouldn't have got done right if I would have done it. We've got to trust. We, we've got to be okay being silent where the Bible is silent. We, we have a tendency to want to fill in the gaps, to fill in the narratives. And when you do that, that narrative takes on a life of itself, and it's not necessarily biblical. Be silent where the Bible is silent. When the period ends, let the period end. Accept the truth that's on the page and walk away trusting God and knowing that He's good, like we've seen in Romans 8. Our, our minds cannot fathom the awesomeness of, Listen, an otherness of God. He is so much greater. He is so much beyond us. We, we can't fully comprehend it. And, and both His sovereignty and man's responsibility are here in Scripture. Leave them alone. Teach them as they are. And be okay with the tension that it creates. You don't, listen, you don't have to understand it. But you've got to trust the one who authored it. In your own homes, your kids do not understand everything. They, they don't understand everything you do. They don't understand the why. They don't understand the what. They Listen, but they better trust the parent. And, and again, we don't trust God because we understand Him. We trust Him because He is God. Right? I don't have to fully understand Him to trust Him. That's why the words on these, the pages of Scripture, they give me hope because they reveal to me time and time, again, a God, time and time again a God that is faithful and can be trusted even when people don't understand what's going on. Listen, we, we walk in, what I'm saying here is we walk and live by faith. But it's not a blind faith. 
It's a faith that's built on 66 books that reveal a God who consistently was faithful, who was good, who was sovereign. So we can trust Him when we don't understand. Trust and rely, again, on what God has revealed about Himself. That's the beauty of Scripture. That's the beauty of studying Scripture. That when we don't fully understand what's going on, we, we can trust the God who is behind it all. I mean, when we get into some tough passages, again, let clear passages interpret the unclear passages. And we're going to get into some tough things in Romans 9. And I'll explain them as best I can. But listen, for thousands of years, pastors have struggled. Who, pastors who are way smarter than me have struggled with these passages. I'm just going to tell you in the front end, I'm not going to be the guy in Odessa, Florida in 2019 to solve it. Okay? I won't be. Just let the cat out of the bag on the front end. I ain't going to be the one. Spurgeon and Calvin, listen, greater men than I have struggled with these passages. I won't be the guy that figures it out. But I will, do, I will be the guy, as always, my heart is, I will teach them as accurately and as honestly and as best as I can. Whether you like it or not, whether we like it or not, what it says. I will do that. And, and even here in Romans 9, we have to be careful. I say all that about God's sovereignty, but listen, we have to be careful because I'm not sure God's sovereignty is even the main theme of Romans 9. I think Paul brings up God's sovereignty in order to support the main theme. But I don't think God's sovereignty is the main theme. So I think we have to be careful making it the main theme. What, what we see in chapters 9 through 11 really are, in truth, is why most people, many people, will not preach through Romans. If they do preach through Romans, they will skip over these three chapters. And that's unfortunate because, listen, all Scripture is God-breathed, right? 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped, adequate, for every good work. These passages are just as inspired as, your, as John 3.16. And, and I would argue that the, what we see here in Romans 9-11 through 11 is utterly crucial, not only in our lives, but if the, in the gospel. Here's what I mean by that. In Romans 8, Paul has given us this wonderful, and I'm saying all this to set the stage because we, we've got to make sure that we get this in our minds if we're going to rightly understand Romans 9. In Romans 8, Paul has given us the wonderful truth of assurance. He has made it very clear that there is no condemnation, Romans 8, 1. There is no condemnation. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Romans 8, 18, these present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. In Romans 8.37, we are more than conquerors. We overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us, that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Great truths. Romans 8.28, that, that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. 
We saw that that purpose was godliness. But if you know anything about the Old Testament, and this is where Paul is going with this, that's going to raise a huge problem. Because clearly the Jews were God's chosen people. Deuteronomy 7, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, just for, for one passage. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His own possession out of all the peoples who are on the earth. The Lord did not set His love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples for you were the fewest. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which He swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out of the mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. You can go to 14.2 as well in Deuteronomy. God promised to bless them. He promised to bless all nations through them. And yet when Paul writes Romans... Most of the Jews are rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. Many of them were persecuting Christians just like Paul was before he was saved. So the problem, if you're tracking that, the problem becomes this. In light of the Jews' rejection of Christ, has God's purposes failed? Has God failed? Did God renege on His Word? Did He go back on His Word? And here's why this matters. Because if God, if God did that to them, how do you know He won't do that to you? That's why Romans 9 is important. Every single thing that we read in Romans, if God isn't faithful, you can throw it out the window. If God isn't faithful. How do we know that nothing can separate how do we know that nothing can't separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus if it separated others? That's the question of Romans 9. Sovereignty of God certainly plays a role, but listen, God's faithfulness is the issue of Romans 9. Is God faithful? Does God keep his promises and listen more than that the gospel is at stake in romans 9 really everything about our lives is at stake in romans 9 if god cannot be trusted if god is not faithful we're wasting our time we have no hope if god can go back on his word we have no hope and paul in romans 9 paul is proving that the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament, that the God who made promises to Israel in the Old Testament is the same one who has offered salvation to the Gentiles. And to do this, Paul is going to show us in Romans 9, the goal is that God, to show that God has done nothing in the gospel and the invitation of the Gentiles that is inconsistent with his promises to Israel. Again, the faithfulness of God is the issue in Romans 9. Our assurance becomes the issue. If God, again, if He's not faithful, then He's no different than you and I. Here today, gone tomorrow. Fickle. And hope is lost. And what Paul will explain here is that the gospel that he preaches doesn't negate any of God's promises in the Old Testament. It actually affirms them. And he started to do that even back in Romans 3 
verse 21 when he wrote, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. What Paul teaches is exactly what the Old Testament taught. That's why in Romans, this section in Romans 9-11, through 11, you're going to see Paul quote the Old Testament immensely. Paul is doing this to show you of the faithfulness of God. That God keeps His promises. And the gospel that he preaches is the one true gospel that has always been the true gospel. That God is consistent and faithful to all of his promises, whether they're in the Old Testament or whether in the New Testament. And that's huge for you and I. Even 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For as many as are the promises of God, in Christ they are yes. What Paul is going to teach us is that everything, and this is what was missed, everything points to Christ. He is our hope. Everything that happened in the Old Testament was pointing to Christ. And Paul will use these chapters to show that the gospel actually provides fully for God's promises to Israel when they're rightly understood. And and Paul is going to walk a tightrope here of showing the inclusion of the Gentiles. But at the same time, God has not abandoned his promises to Israel. And and, and look look at verse 6, and we'll look at this verse more fully in the coming weeks but again, Paul, Paul plays his hand right from the start to tell you what this is all about. Verse 6, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. You see the point of what Paul is saying? God has not failed. People failed. Go to verse 14. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. You see Paul's point? The problem is not with God. The problem was how people interpreted his promises and what they did with his promises. Again, Romans 11, if we ever get there, Paul will make it very clear in verses 25 and 6 that God is not done with Israel, that a partial hardening of Israel has happened now until the fullness of the Gentiles. Again, what Paul is showing is that this is actually a fulfillment. And Isaiah told about that. Hey, go preach to a bunch of people that aren't going to listen to you. They are going to reject you. Isaiah 53 told, again, you're going to crush, you're going to kill the Messiah. And, and what Paul is saying is that Christ, what you see before you in Christ is what everything pointed to. And again, the Jews and the Judaizers, they tended to view the gospel in terms of law and privilege and ethnicity, and and they missed Christ. And what Paul is going to say is that God is faithful even when we are not faithful. Therefore, therefore, there's hope. And again, Paul is explaining here in in verses 1 through 5, in this intro, that, that many of the Jews, they accused Paul of abandoning his own people for the sake of the despised Gentiles. And Paul is clearing this up right from the start. But he's laying down some truths for us today, and we're only going to look at the handout, we're only going to look at point one as, as, as God's sovereignty would have it. Uh, a good friend of mine and his wife and family are here today, and 
and I say this with all sincerity, if, if I, when I, when, when I read what I read in Romans 9 about anguish and, and anguish for the lost, I, I don't know that I've ever met someone in my life that personifies that like Sam Marsnick. And so after this first point, he's going to, as God's sovereignty would have it, he's here with us this morning, and I've asked him to share his testimony, and we as a church support his ministry. This is a man who, he and his wife, they sold their business. She left her medical practice. They moved to the, one of the poorest, if not the poorest counties in all of America, Green County. They had $47 to their name. Packed it up. Sold everything. Why? For the gospel's sake. For the gospel's sake. Anguish. Burden for the lost. And that's what Paul's telling us here. Look, look at verse 1. Paul says, I'm telling you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me and the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were a curse, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption of sons, and the glory of the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ, according to the flesh, who is over all, God bless forever and ever, amen. Here's the point. That Paul begins with. And, and here's the point for us that I want to look at today. And again, we won't get to the second and third one. But you see it on your handout. Our defense, where does everything begin? That's what I want to drill it down to. In our lives, in my life, in your life, where does it, where does it begin? And it begins with a burden. Our defense and proclamation of the gospel must be fueled by a burden in us for the glory of God and the salvation of others. Okay, in the next coming weeks, we'll talk about the remainder of this statement that we have to resist the temptation to alter the gospel in order to make it easier to believe or for others to receive us. Again, knowing that people's unbelief does not negate the truthfulness of God. But it begins with a burden, and you see there point one. Sharing the gospel and reaching out to others with the gospel must be fueled by anguish for the lost. Hope. A burden for those around you that are lo- who are lost, who do not know the gospel. Paul, Paul starts this section in a hard way, and in a way that would draw his readers in, that would grab their attention. Again, what we're going to say today is heavy, and it's meant to grab your attention. It's meant to shake you. Listen, we, we can come up with all kinds of excuses about why we don't share with the lost. I don't know the answers, and I don't know. Here's the answer. You're not burdened for them. We'll cut to the chase. If you were burdened for them, you'd find the answers, right? It's a burden. It's anguish. 
Why would Paul leave everything that, that brought esteem to him? See Philippians 3, 1 through 6. Why would Paul leave everything that brought him acclaim and status and everything? Why would he throw it aside? Why would he call it dung? Why would he call it refuse? Because he gained Christ. And he had a burden for the lost who didn't know Christ. Why would Paul allow himself to be shipwrecked, imprisoned, beaten, go hungry, go without, go read Philippians 4, all those things where he, why? Because it was fueled by an anguish for the lost. And, and this, again, that's where Romans, not, and Paul, again, he says, I'm telling you the truth. He's, he says, I'm not lying, but that's where verses 2 and 3 come in. I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart for my fellow countrymen. If, if it were possible, I would give up what I have in Christ in order for them to be saved. Think about that. Paul anguishes over the lostness of the Jewish people. To the point where if he could, if he could, walk, if he could be accursed, he would on their behalf. And I looked up the word anguish. Listen to what it means. It means agony, pain, torment, torture, suffering, distress, angst, misery, sorrow. That's what drove Paul. That's what fueled him to walk away from all of his fellow countrymen, be alienated from them. Why? Because he had found the treasure in the field that is Christ. And he had an anguish that others would see it as well. And you see it in a handout. Paul's love for God and his people drove him. We, we see this way back in, in Exodus chapter 32 with regard to Moses. In, in Exodus 32, verses 30. On the next day, Moses said to the people, You yourselves have committed a great sin, and now I am going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has committed a great sin, and they have made a God of themselves for them, a God of gold for themselves. But now, listen, if you will forgive, the, if you will forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out from your book, which was written in your name. You see, you see the anguish that Moses had for God's people? That, that for people to see the truthfulness of the gospel? Listen, this is, this is what makes sharing out and reaching others real. It's an anguish. It's a burden. To see, that, to see the greatness of God, that others would see God rightly. And, and I thought about just that Paul would take his place. And, and this may be a silly example, but I, I, Bradley and I went fishing one time on Uncle David's dock. And in the midst of fishing, I went to cast the hook and the treble, the, the, it's a big old lure, and I had two sets of treble hooks. And it went through his cheek, into his mouth, and then came out. So I cast the thing, I'm like, look back, and my son's looking up at me, like, Dad, what did you do? And I, I remember, I remember, First, I remember trying my best. Lord, please don't let me pass out. I need to be there for my son. He doesn't need to see his father laid out on the dock. 
I walk into the hospital and she's like, hey, can I see your insurance? And I literally laid my head on the desk. I just gave her my wallet and I said, it's in here. Just do whatever. I don't even care. Just fix it. You know, I'm looking back at my son just sitting there with a lure hanging from his cheek. I did that. And I remember just in the, I remember in the room, they put him in the room, and I remember laying on his chest, weeping, saying, I'm so sorry. If I could do, if I could take your place, Bradley, I would take your place. Why? Because I love my son. And I wouldn't want anything to happen to him. And that, that's the burden. Again, that's the burden that Paul had for his countrymen. Before Paul ever shared the hard things, before he ever talked about anything else, he made sure that the people knew that he loved them. That he was coming from a place of love. And listen, we get all caught up on truth and doctrine. And, and listen, I love truth and I love doctrine. And, and we can argue with specifics about people, but let's, get, let's drill it down here real quick. Do you even care that they receive the word? Or is it just about presenting truth? Is it about you going through your presentation? Or is it about their lost soul? Is it about you showing that you're smart and how smart you are and how you're saved and you're better than them? Or is it an anguish to see them receive the same grace that you received by grace? What drives you? Is it, is it hopeful or is it condemning when you share? Because listen, people can see through that. People can see, does this person love me and care about me? Or do they just, are, are they just condemning me? Or telling me how great they are and how bad I am? Can you give me a tissue? And, and that's the question you see, you see on your hand now, the question for us. Can we say that we are sincerely concerned for the truth of the gospel and salvation of those around us? Can we say that? And a a more personal question, let me ask this. Which best describes you right now in your attitude towards the the lost neighbors around you and in your classrooms and in your workplaces, those who are separated from Christ? What best describes you right now, anguish or apathy? Thank you. Thanks. Do you care? Anguish or apathy? Romans, listen to Matthew 9. I'm hurrying, Sam, to get to you. Listen to what Jesus said. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Is that how you see your neighbors? Is that how you see your classmates? I got one. You took too long. (laughs) They were in more anguish than you were that I get that tissue. And she has tissue in her bag. You just didn't want to share, did you, Tammy? No anguish. anguish. Apathetic. (laughs) Jesus looked around at the crowds. You know what? He saw, he didn't didn't let them be fooled. He he wasn't fooled by their outwards. They were a sheep without shepherds. The question becomes, is that how you see the lost around you? 
Do you see through the nice cars and the nice clothes and the nice homes and the, the bank accounts and all the stuff that we put out there, a facade? Do you see through that? And do we see them as sheep without shepherds? Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, what Paul says. For though I am free from all, this ought to be our attitude. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jews, I became a Jew to win the Jews. To the Greek, I became a Greek. Listen to what he says. I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 5, for the sake of time, he says that he begs people, that you and I are ambassadors on behalf of Christ, and he begs people to be reconciled to God. You ever begged somebody to be reconciled to God? That's hope. That's the hope that Christ brings. It's Romans 5.20, that though sin may abound... Grace can superabound. That's the hope we have to offer people. Students, in your class, in your classrooms, the classes that you sit with people every day, is that how, do you have a burden for those people? You say, Well, Chris, you said I can't give up my salvation. Hey, can you give up your reputation? Can you give up your popularity in order to share the gospel with them? In adults, in your workplace, would you give up your position? Would you give up a promotion? Would you give up a raise? Would you give up a reputation? Maybe even give up the job? The question becomes, do, the question is, and I know, I realize this is heavy and all that, but, but, but again, we're going to preach that. Do we care? Do we care the way we're supposed to care? Or is our hope really in the gospel? Listen, you see it in your handout. The most loving thing you can do is share Christ. The most loving thing, but it's got to be birthed in a burden. And listen, God's sovereignty never takes away the burden to share. It actually frees you and I to share, right? God's sovereignty, it doesn't, it doesn't cancel the burden. It frees the burden. 